Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome back to Mads World. I'm your host Mads and I do hope you've been enjoying the show so far. If you have, please remember to subscribe, rate and review the podcast on your favourite listening platform and follow me on Insta, it's at madsworld.mp3. Can you believe this is our second last episode for season five? Uh, Next week is my 50th episode, which is actually mental. But I have a very exciting guest joining us this week. This week, I'm joined by Lena June, who describes herself as a 24-7 collared submissive, kink writer, and most importantly, a fairy sub-mother to all who seek her advice. Lena hosts an advice podcast and Instagram page, both called Ask a Sub, for the kink curious to take themselves from dreaming to doing. Through her pod and Insta, she aims to bring wellness kink to the masses and equip every would-be kinkster with the tools to become their own BDSM BFF. Up next, we chat about what exactly a 24-7 collared sub is, how Lena got into the sub lifestyle, the history of sub-dom relationships, myths and trends in the BDSM community, approaching dating apps as a sub, and so much more. Hi, Lena. How are you? Oh, so great. So happy to be here. Oh, I'm so glad to have you joining the podcast. We were just saying before we started recording that you love the way that TikTok people mock the Australian accent. Can you give me your best, your best Aussie um, no? <laughs> no. <laughs> See, you're actually really good at it. Like, if if I'm, I'm only impressed. tested on that one word and maybe ordering a flat white, I think I can pass. <laughs> no. <laughs> love it. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Let's jump into our speed date question round, which is our upfront fun questions and then jump into a bit more of a discussion later about your life as a 24-7 college sub. So my first question is, what are you most proud of? I mean, other than everything Ask a Sub, very proud of all that. Um, mm-hmm. I do speak six languages. Um, oh, my God. English included. Um, so that's something that I've devoted a huge amount of time to in my life, but don't get to uh, talk about as much. But yeah, yeah. That's, that's definitely a fave. <laughs> that's amazing. What languages? Um, well, English, uh, German, French, Spanish, Mandarin, and now I'm working on Japanese. Oh my god! And like, it's not even like they're all Latin languages either. Like, no, you've got no. some really impressive languages in there. <laughs> really, just want to put myself through as much suffering as possible, which oh loops back god. to the whole sub thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. What might people not guess about you? Um, I think based on the sub thing, I think that they might think that I would be sort of naturally meek or. Um, uh, shy uh, and mm-hmm. I think that I tend to come off as actually very outgoing and it, it always surprises people that I'm not like cowering in a corner just because I'm a sub um, and and as a child too I was always described as bossy before we cancelled calling young girls bossy. I oh, love that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah more, more outgoing than people would think. Oh nice yeah I think like in terms of 
something that people would not guess about me is that I am quite a social person, obviously. I've got the podcast. I'm very outgoing in a similar way, but I do, I love my alone time as well. Like I need to recharge and, you know, sometimes I just need to like get a delivery, watch a movie, read my book and like have my recharge time and that I I have to have that or I can't be an outgoing social person. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Even outgoing Mm. people need to take a bath from time to time. We can't just be in the center of a party every minute. (laughs) Oh my God. I literally have a bath once a week. It's become my like ever since we bought a plug, I know this is ridiculous, but we didn't have a plug for the bath for like <laughs> a year. See, in my world, plug <laughs> needs something different. So I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh, yep. <laughs> my next question is, do you have any superstitions? Um, I really, I am not a big superstitious person, although mm-hmm. I, I love like witchcraft and, and everything. I just try not to sort of think that my thoughts can influence the outside world um, mm-hmm. <laughs> in a bad way. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I will say that like I, to that end, I'm always like, ooh, don't like say it or don't mention it because then it might not happen. So I'm very like uh, mm-hmm. secretive, which I would surprise no one given that my entire internet life is conducted under an avatar and a pen name. But um <laughs> Yeah, other than that, I'm not like, well, I do touch wood, but I'm not like, oh, I can't go to the 13th row, can't, you know, this or that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not, um, it's not as interesting as people who are like fans of sports and won't change their clothes, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think um, touch wood's a big, big one for me as well. I'm like mm-hmm. a touch wood. I'm like a, do you have jinxing it in America? Like, don't jinx it. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the same for me. So, um, what do you think makes someone a good person? Hmm. Um, the intention to try to be a good person, I think, is a huge, yeah. huge one. Um, and and I think just empathy and listening are so undervalued. I think that we're living in such an economy of like everybody wants to be an influencer, everybody wants to be the main character, and I think that's sort of compromised our listening skills. So when you can really listen to people, I think that that is like a big step on the road to being a good person. Yeah, it's something I've definitely been working on, especially with the podcast, because I have to go back and edit every episode, obviously. And I hear every time that I interrupt someone and I'm like, oh, torture. Yeah, I'm like, Mads, stop interrupting. Like they were on a good train of thought. And I'm just like, blah. So (laughs) I'm definitely um, trying to work on that. Um, But yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, What is your definition of success? My definition of a success, my definition of success is to not have to show up to a certain place at a certain time and work on somebody else's project. I think mm-hmm. that I, um, I, uh, as a, mm, I, I hesitate to use the phrase mentally ill, but as a person who, um, needs like sometimes special accommodations, having to work a nine to five job for me was, um, torture and a nightmare. Yeah. And um, and on any terms, I, I would not trade the ability that I have now to um, make my own schedule for any amount of money or any amount of prestige. Like to me, just being able to wake up when I want and um, yeah. calmly drink a cup of tea and get to my emails when I get to them is, is I feel like I've made it and that's all I need. Yeah. And does that go hand in hand with having like a project or, you know, a career that you're passionate about and something that you have control of? Oh, completely. Yeah. And having mm. the drive to get up and do it because it's something I passionately, passionately care about as opposed to um, sort of faking it for for the paycheck. Yeah, 100%. And um, oh, I actually have one more question for you. What is the funniest date that you've ever been on or the best date you've ever been on? Well, this relates back to um, question one, uh, because yeah. there was a date that I went on um, in my Tinder days where I... Um, showed up to this date. And somehow while we were still standing at the bar waiting to order, this man is telling me that he's getting some kind of advanced degree in in studying nihilism, like philosophy. <laughs> and um, and he goes, are you familiar with not, what nihilism is? And I was like, yes, I've read Nietzsche in the original German. And he goes, <gasps> okay, so nihilism is. <laughs> and so he explains <laughs> it anyway. And uh, in the middle of that date, I was like, you know, I'm on a medication where I, I can't mix alcohol with it. Not true. And uh. <laughs> I need to, I, I feel nauseous. I have to go home. And he was like, no, I really doubt that that's the case. Let's figure out what medicine it is. You're probably fine. And I was like, oh, my Uber's here. Bye. <laughs> oh, my God. So you've read it in German in the original like context. I mean, not the, not all of it. It's excerpts, to be fair. But I yeah. still was starting at a level where he did not need to mansplain to him, oh, but God. couldn't resist. <laughs> mansplain is something that just makes me cringe so hard. And it's just, I feel bad it, for them. You know? I know. Like, it's, 
I don't, I'm literally like I'm looking down upon you, you know. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I feel sorry that you feel like you need to do this because it's so embarrassing. And also every girl that it's happened to just goes in the group chat and they're just like, you'll never guess what's just happened. Exactly. If they knew how hard <laughs> they were being dunked on, they probably wouldn't do it as much. <laughs> dunked on. That's so good. That's so American. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, amazing. Well, yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of your responses there. That was that was awesome. Of course. So I'm really Really super buzzing to get stuck into our discussion all about your lifestyle as a collared sub. So can you tell me in your own words what a 24-7 collared sub actually is? Yeah. Um, so uh, a sub is somebody who plays the role of um, receiving or participating in power exchange sort of from the bottom, as it were. Um, so the dom agrees to sort of set the tone, set the rules, um, manage top line what's going on, and then the sub agrees to sort of follow, quote unquote. So mm-hmm. when people hear that, they think, oh, no, you're locked up in a cage all day. You can't make <laughs> any choices for yourself. You're being like spoon fed through <laughs> into your prison cell. <laughs> and um, and people get like really concerned. Um, but the reality is that um, in real life, <laughs> doms and subs are adults who have consented for fun reasons and out of the joy of wanting to to play these roles for a prescribed period of time. Um, Mm -hmm. And in my case, the prescribed period of time is all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So instead of that looking like I'm in a leather gimp suit crawling across the floor when we go to Starbucks, um, (laughs) it instead, it translates to my partner and I, who's now my husband, um, we just use the roles of Dom and Sub to inflect whatever most normal couples are doing anyway. So, you know, we're, we just moved and we're dealing with all of the chaos of moving right now. And so when we go to Home Depot to very irritatingly for the third time that weekend have to get some different type of screw and I need to go to the, to some other department to get some sandpaper or whatever, instead of it being this, ooh, what should we do? What's going on? We walk into Home Depot and my dom turns to me and he goes, you got the sandpaper. I will get the screws. Meet me back here right now. And then we do. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll do sort of the flow of regular life, but with dom and sub themes as the way that we navigate it together. Okay. And when um, when you say it's an agreement, do you have like a written agreement in place? Like do, do some people have that? Is it just like a verbal agreement? How does that kind of work? I think it's mostly calibrated to sort of the learning styles and the preferences of the people in the relationship. So my mm-hmm. My partner and I, we do have some um, things written down. We use an app, um, and mm-hmm. then oh, that's other interesting. things. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. Okay. Um, and then other things are just sort of we've been doing them so long that they're like completely innate to our relationship. Like um, mm-hmm. one of which is to never raise our voices with each other or lose our cool with each other. Like it's mm-hmm. it's an agreement that we always maintain sort of a respectful, dignified way of talking to each other, even when we're activated. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, and there's other things like I will say please and thank you for things and, you know, use his means of address. And Mm -hmm. we, so we use, um, it's sort of like the water we're swimming in to such a degree that it's like, is that a rule or is that just how I treat him or, you know, but then, yeah, there are people who will like detail you know, entire contract pages long, this, this, Mm -hmm. and this. But what's important to remember about both of those things, like whether it's verbal or whether it's a contract, is that it's all always negotiable. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not like Fifty Shades of Grey where (laughs) you sign away your name on the contract like in The Little Mermaid and you're just – you're trapped for life in this one thing. It's it's actually like – Yes, even if I agreed to that yesterday, I still have my safe words and I can still say, hey, this isn't working for me or or that's, you know, let's do this instead. Does everyone ask you if it is like Fifty Shades of Grey? (laughs) You know, people tend not to because I think, yeah, which is great. I think that people know enough to know that that is a nightmare, but they don't know, (laughs) they don't know what they've absorbed from it that I need to like correct. So, you know, people will be like, oh, is it like you're forced to go into his weird dungeon and his oh, you know, high-rise apartment and get spanked incorrectly with all these things? Like, <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, no. <laughs> Actually, no. So what first got you into BDSM and how did you sort of start researching it? And like, what sort of kickstarted making you want to become a 24-7 sub? You know, I really wish that it was something like oh, um, I saw Secretary or, you know, or Fifty Shades and I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to do some Googling and then I'm going to, Mm -hmm. in a very clear-eyed way, like approach this and do it on purpose. But 
for me, it was a lot more um, haphazard than that. Like I was, um, I was in a very, very long term, um, very vanilla relationship that was really dissatisfying for me. Um, and then as um, that relationship, we opened it up at a point in time, and I started experimenting with other partners. And like, I think that I was asking for things like to be spanked or to be called names or these things that fit under the BDSM umbrella as sort of an extension of my own shame about what I wanted. Like I was Mm -hmm. sort of punishing myself through these partners of like, I should want to be in this lovely vanilla relationship with this by all accounts, nice guy, but I don't. So I must be this sort of like bad girl who needs to be punished. Right. Mm -hmm. And then as I sort of was just blindly bashing my way through the Los Angeles dating scene, just being like, hey, how about you? Why don't you spank me? Just that (laughs) I started to run out of gas on it. And then when I met my partner, I was like, my current partner, I was like, hey, I'm a sub and I've had all these experiences and da da da. And he's like, yeah, but like, what about what are your safe words? And like, what's your aftercare practice? Mm. And I was like, Oh, I don't know any of that. So um, <laughs> I then uh, did did my research and started to sort of figure out, oh, okay, so not only am I not bad and gross and wrong for wanting these things, this is just like the flavor of how I experience sexuality. And I deserve to experience that in a way that is safe and respectful of me as well as the other person. And it's so cool that you're empowering people as well to sort of figure out that about themselves. Because I think there's not, I mean, maybe now there is, but a while ago, there wouldn't have been much out there that was BDSM positive and, you know, helping these people to sort of explore their sexuality and figure out what they like. So I think it's really cool what you're doing. Oh, thank you. I mean, I I really started doing it because I found that the available resources, you know, even if they were BDSM positive, they did not um, aesthetically include me. Like I, I sort of think of the way that BDSM has often been represented as very like Gen X and um, mm-hmm. having like a really specific sort of like tone about it that me as this like California millennial, you know, <laughs> wellness girl was like, oh, like that's not speaking to me in my language. So I think like a big part of what I set out to do with Ask a Sub is just like using like, so using the visuals of memes, I sort of created this um, visual style that I think represented a lot more people like me. So when people feel represented aesthetically, that gives them access to the safety of, of how to do this stuff in a way that is not harmful to you. And I think that's like, super important, like just Mm. making people feel like there's room for them because BDSM can be pink and soft um, (laughs) is is actually like a lot more important than I even realized starting to do it this way. Yeah. Can you tell me more about the Instagram page that you run? Like do people message you in your DMs asking for advice and like how did it sort of start out? How did it start to grow and those sorts of things? Yeah, so the the Instagram is called Ask a Sub, um, mm-hmm. and it it was really interesting because the way that it began was that I had a Tumblr where mm-hmm. I um, wrote uh, advice columns on that Tumblr, and then I just sort of opened up this Instagram and was sort of like putting up a picture from the Tumblr post and being like, "Here's this Tumblr post to like zero followers." Um, <laughs> And then, and then what happened was I found a um, meme that someone else had made that was kinky, and I think it used like a screenshot from Zootopia, which is not my aesthetic. Um, <laughs> I but love I was that like, movie so yeah, far. it's so cute. It's the cutest so ever. But I, I'm, it's sort of like that movie has been so intensely co-opted by the furry community that like oh uh, now I would not. <laughs> Even though, however much I may enjoy it and definitely think that uh, Nick Wilde is hot. But anyway, um, so I I posted this meme and at the time for me, and I hashtagged it a bunch. And at the time for me, it went like really viral. I was like, oh my Mm. God, suddenly I have like 500 likes on this thing when I have like no followers. And then followers started to come in Mm -hmm. and I just decided like, well, I can make memes, you know, I can try that. So I started to sort of like put my own ideas about submission and like the kinds of things that I was writing in these advice columns into um, meme format. And from there, it just began to grow exponentially because when people see memes, they share them and they share them with their Mm. friends and then everyone's like, oh, come over here. Let's have a laugh. Here's, Here's all the content. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, from there, it just grew and grew and grew. And as it was growing, I had a a really good friend down here in L.A. She was like, well, you should do a QA and a on your stories. Like, those are great for engagement. And I'm like, that's weird. I don't, you know, nobody wants to ask me anything, even though it's called ask a sub. Like, (laughs) this is imposter syndrome in a nutshell. I'm like, well, what if they don't want to? What if nobody does? And one day I was sitting... um, in jury duty. And I was like, screw it. I'm just sitting here. I'm waiting for hours. Let's just see if anybody asks me anything. And it was like a (gasps) torrential flood of people being like, I'm having this problem. I'm having that problem. Or like, what do you do when you're this? And you're a sub. And how can you also be a real person? And so the the Friday Q&A became a really big part of the brand. And I've done them almost every single Friday for about two years now. Oh my God, that is so fun. It's so mm-hmm. nice to have a little community, isn't it? I feel like that when I'm doing these podcasts and sending them out into the world, I'm just like thinking about everyone listening. I'm like, oh, as if you care, like as if people actually care. It's so nice. They do and they're there <laughs> yeah. and it's, it's wonderful because people like so intensely need something to connect to. And like I yes. think the world, even since I've been doing this, has just gotten more and more lonely and more and more fractured. And mm-hmm. when people can find a little pocket where they feel at home, it's like that's so important. It's so cool. And um, earlier you touched on sort of when you met your current partner and just all the things that you had to learn and that were important to know. So what do you think are the most important things to know before embarking on a new journey with a BDSM lifestyle? Um, I'd say number one, um, beyond like safe words, aftercare, what is a scene, how do I safely execute X, Y, or Z, before any of that, I think the thing that subs so often are denied is the ability to trust themselves. Even if you are like, I don't know if I'm a sub, even if you're like, maybe I want to do kink, but I don't know. Um, Going into the dating pool, what you need to know is that if you feel uncomfortable, end of story. You don't need a reason. You don't need to have been educated and be able to explain because so many subs, when they come out into the dating pool, um, are confronted with people who don't really understand what BDSM is, but Mm -hmm. get a whiff of you being a sub and start to like posture with all this behavior that I refer to and many people refer to as being a fake dom where they Mm -hmm. literally have no training in being a dom. They don't know anything about being a dom, but because they've seen a couple porns and it's maybe in their erotic Mm -hmm. imagination somewhere, they say, oh, you're a sub. Hey, do you want to get choked? Do you want to this and that? And it's like, as the recipient of that behavior of like mm-hmm. someone suddenly aggressively sexting you immediately when you've matched, you go, oh, is this what BDSM culture is like? And if I feel uncomfortable, that's that's a problem for me and, and that's on me and I need to just get comfortable with this. Absolutely not. Your discomfort 
is the only thing that you need to know and everything else follows from there. So if someone's making you uncomfortable, you are not an illegitimate sub. This is not how the kink community operates. You should be maximum comfortable with somebody that you are exploring this stuff with. God, that is such good advice. And I think yeah, I mean, it just applies to so many situations as well. It's just sort of like if like you don't have to do anything you're not comfortable with, especially if you're trying to investigate a lifestyle like this to make yourself happier or to make yourself more comfortable and you end up mm-hmm. feeling less comfortable, you know, it's it's sort of counterproductive, isn't it? Yeah, and really scarring and hard for people yeah, because definitely. Then, they, then something that could have been so great for them is tainted by these experiences. But, you know, you can always bounce back. You can always heal. You can always recontextualize. But you know, take care of yourself and just know that you're allowed to say no. <laughs> yeah, that's that's such good advice. So obviously you have, you are so well-versed in this field. You've got your podcast, you've got your blog, and, you know, you've written about all of these things. So can you tell me a little bit more about how the history of the subdom lifestyle like has evolved over time? And, you know, obviously there's all these great resources out there now, but how do you think it was, you know, 20 years ago or, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago? How has it sort of changed? Yeah, so we're really lucky to have um, pretty good documentation of leather history in the U.S., um, and I think a lot of kink culture um, owes its um, roots to, to that history, um, and that history is, is an inherently um, gay and queer history. So, um, it, you know, it, leather as we understand it now, and, and many people practice kink without a leather component, mm-hmm. but as a cohered culture, the documentation that we have um, tells us that that sort of bloomed out of like a post-World War II um, motorcycle culture among um, gay men primarily. And then those sort of um, practices um, were always running parallel to the gay community, whether or not they were accepted by the larger gay community was a mm. completely different story, but it was always this very stigmatized, very taboo underground of like, not only have we been rejected by society, but we've also been rejected by our own people among the gay community um, Mm. at times. And then um, as the as the AIDS crisis hit that community in America, um, the uh, leather community really rallied um, at that time. And I think the safe practices of you can have sex, quote unquote, without it being unsafe. And like, Mm -hmm. here are all of our safety practices. And I think that, you know, and this is something that historians would argue and, and, but it's just my impression that I think it began to get more mainstreamed or more accepted at that Mm -hmm. time where we needed to reconceive what sex was because it was a life or death situation for people. Yeah, that is so interesting. Yeah. And and at those times, you know, the um the leather community also would throw parties and fundraisers and, you know, get money to rally around people, you know, who are in the hospital um with HIV. So so this was like a time when that, you know, stigmatized underground thing had a chance to be listened to and be considered. Mm. And probably um, because the gay community felt more ostracized than they ever had before with, mm-hmm. you know, all, all of the all of the HIV and AIDS stigma that was being thrown at them. I did an, mm-hmm. an episode about this um, back when I first started the podcast, which was so interesting. But um, if there was any sort of distance between those two communities, I guess being ostracized by the wider community is definitely something that brings people together as well. Definitely. And like the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing where everybody finds themselves on the same side. So um, then going going from there, um, it just became more and more and more and more mainstreamed. And, and But what's strange is that the leather aesthetics became mainstreamed like in the 90s and in the early 2000s. And when, then we've got like Rihanna's S&M video. And mm. yet these things, they the, the aesthetics make their way into the mainstream. And then the safe practices and the reality and the nuance of how it's actually playing out don't make it into the mainstream, which I'm sure that sex workers would tell you about the way that like pleasers like those shoes that they wear have made it into the mainstream but then nobody is fighting for sex workers rights um alongside that so we've seen the same thing happen with bdsm where our aesthetics make it but then like stuff like aftercare or you know consent or you know the very serious culture of mentorship that had happened that had been our legacy during that time when people were very underground that has sort of lost its way and people are just like, well, I can Google it and do whatever I want. So um, it's, um, it has, it has very much changed, but I don't necessarily think it's changed for the worse. I just do think that there's a lot of times where 
modern day BDSM practitioners can forget where we came from. Um, and that's, that's where a lot of us owe our lineage and where we came from. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, all of that said, like the history of Dom sub dynamics is, is harder to trace because, um, there are records and there are people who've written books about this, about, um, you know, people who practice something like Dom sub or, or power exchange throughout time, but it wasn't something that you can document, like you can document these men gathered in this bar on this day wearing leather, and we can assume what they were doing. Like yeah. sub Dom is like a lot more um, ephemeral because it's just, it doesn't even need tools or equipment. It can just mm-hmm. be an agreement um, to sort of play out a certain imbalance of power, um, but always a balance of respect. You said something really interesting there as well about um, sort of the aesthetic moving itself into the mainstream, but all of mm-hmm. the, you know, the rules and everything that that don't follow. Do you think that is what lends itself to those fake doms and, you know, the people that you meet on um, on dating apps, like even something like Field? Do you have Field in the US? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Something like Field where you know, someone will just straight away come in and start saying like they'll either be rude to you or say like some filthy shit and you're just like this is just so what you were saying about the behavior that makes people uncomfortable. Do you think that's what's lending itself to those fake doms and that behavior? Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah, they're like, well, you know, I saw – you know, Shakira at the Super Bowl halftime show with the rope around her wrist. So like, that's all there is to it. So I mm. think not that I don't think that these uh, specific men are like huge Shakira fans, although if that were the case, <laughs> I'd be really excited. Um, but yeah, I know I think wish. people see it and they're like, oh, mm. well, I understand this. And it's it's very strange because you don't get people who see like, you know, like a viral video about some like extremely difficult crocheting technique. And they're like, oh, I can do that. Like people can see with other types of handiwork that take um, study and preparation, like they can see with other types of things like art forms, they can say, oh, well, that that's someone who's studied this, and I can't just pick it up and do it. Yeah. But with BDSM, like it's so much more um, subtle what what makes a good practitioner a good practitioner so people are like well I can do that because I can put on a leather hat and go buy a whip but like yeah there's so many nuanced differences yeah yeah like small totally small things different. that are like social cues and everything in those communities that may they would have no idea about Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. And again, it's like it's like we were just saying about the mansplaining is like people come in and they and they embarrass themselves because they are suddenly <laughs> underestimating the the high level of what they're trying to get into and, yeah. and then not realizing what they're missing out on. And I, I pray for all those people to have an opportunity to learn and to put into practice the safe um, safeguards that we all consider to be important. But um, some of those people, just the hubris uh, will not allow that. Do you have like a, a wide community that's, you know, not on social media, but IRL in LA, like of friends and, and colleagues and stuff that you connect with? I do. Yeah. LA is sort of a mixed um, scene. I think people mm-hmm. have a lot of trouble here because we have a very um, uh, thriving like swinger community who are doing play parties. And sometimes those play parties will be like leather themed, but it mm-hmm. feels at times for some of us like those people are more appropriating BDSM than practicing it well. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, you can still find though, like people who really know what they're talking about and know what they're doing. But, you know, in mm-hmm. LA, we are often very much up against like, LA's culture of like normative hotness and like <laughs> normative relationships and like mm. parties being the super like produced thing because everybody has these skills from the TV industry. So I think it can feel very exclusionary um, and difficult to access. But then, yeah, I do. I do have friends where I've like made relationships with people one on one where we're like, well, oh, that kind of thing isn't really for me. But, you know, mm. we can get together and talk about ideas and and connect, um, which is something to know for everybody that just if you have a local scene, that scene is not always indicative of who around you is into BDSM and what those people are like. Like and the scene in London also very specific. Like, you know, you've got the the verboten parties and like house and dance music being heavily associated with BDSM. And I think people in London may think, well, I don't like house music, so can I even be kinky? And it's like, yeah, <laughs> there's, <laughs> no, there's a whole nother way of doing this. Yeah. And when you said before about people having parties and appropriating BDSM tools or, or whatever it might be, 
Why do you think people are doing that? Is it because there's a rush to it? Is it because they want to dip their toe in something? Is it, you know, what do you think the reasons are that people are dabbling in that? Is it a shock factor thing? Do they just want to, you know, do feel like they're doing something crazy? Like, why do you think people are doing that? Yeah, I think that BDSM like is the ultimate shortcut to feeling like naughty and bad and like you're getting away Mm. with something. Um, And I think that in those spheres, um, I'm going to just broadly generalize in a way that I'm sure would make a lot of people mad. But (laughs) in those spheres, a lot of times the people in here in LA, specifically a lot of times the people playing with those BDSM costumes um, carry Mm. a lot of intersecting privileges that make them sort of miss the mark on what else is going on. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. when you put on the costume, you also need to think about the fact that we are playing with power and the way that power functions in the outer world is very specific and we need to be aware of it and we need to counterbalance it. And so that's why BDSM in queer spaces sometimes is practiced more safely because queer people have the experience in the world of being stigmatized, of being rejected and ostracized. So we have a little bit more of a consciousness of how power works than like to straight white folks uh, putting on the outfits. That is not to say that straight people cannot practice BDSM. It just goes back to the thing of like, you know, where it comes from. And when you put on the costume, you need to understand that playing with power is like serious business. And it's not like, hey, let's go be like silly and naughty and put on like a, you know, little leather hat. Like it's, (laughs) there's a Mm. lot more to it. Yeah, that is so interesting. God, I'm absolutely loving our chat. (laughs) I'm learning so much. This is really great. Um, My next question was, what are some of the main myths surrounding the subdom lifestyle that you can bust for us now on the podcast? Oh, I love to bust myths. Um, I, love it. <laughs> uh, I think one of the main one of the main ones is that people look at subdom relationships from the outside, and they see a person who's powerless and a person who's forcing the pow- powerless person to do stuff. Um, and this is something that I like to call the the window test. So, like, if you're standing outside the window watching a BDSM scene unfold, like maybe somebody's getting spanked and tied up, and the other person mm-hmm. is relentlessly spanking them. And from outside the window, you're like, oh no, is that person okay? Look at the things they're being forced to do. But you're missing (laughs) the part where that person was like, please do these things to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, And has their safe words. And it's like, feels really empowering and fantastic for that person. So like, subdom relationships are not um, operating with power the way that it happens non-consensually in the outside world. It's importing power from the outside world and saying every aspect of this is going to be consensual and chosen. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why a lot of people can bring in the oppression they've experienced in the outside world and play it out in a scene. And that's why like a lot of people who identify as women and who have lived lives um, under patriarchy can say, well, I want to be a sub, but how does that make sense when I've been oppressed in these various ways in the workplace or out, you know, in relationships, in my family, things have been expected of me, but I want to go be a sub. And it's not actually as contradictory as you'd think, because you're like taking the things that have been non-consensual and saying, I'm going to experience them on my terms in a completely different context. And I'm going to be able to say no for the first time to things Mm. that I've never been able to say no to. And I'm sure that that brings a lot of internalized shame as well, especially for, as you're saying, assault victims. And um, as a woman, it it does give you that power and control back if it's something that you've experienced being oppressed under the patriarchy for your entire life. So, yeah, I think that's so interesting that that you've said that. And healing, it's really good for people to be able to um, Mm. experience these sorts of themes. And people of other marginalized identities will do the same thing. That's just the one that I carry and what I sort of interact with the most is like, how can I take these things like even, you know, in my 24 seven dynamic where I do things like cooking and cleaning, I, you know, it's not the way that my my mother and grandmother did cooking and cleaning. (laughs) It's in a way where I like to cook and I, you know, occasionally want to clean, but I'm always doing this with like, affirmation and the ability to negotiate it and to talk about it as opposed to this 
sort of culture of silence where it's like you do this and that's the expectation um, because you're being a good wife. <laughs> Whereas, yeah. you know, housework still has to get done and to have it um, done in a way that is more consensual and conscious is just it. That's uh, the name of the game. And I suppose another myth might be around like love and emotion and feelings. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me about this? Because obviously you're married and mm-hmm. I think some people might, as you were saying about the window, the window test, like people might look in there and they might not see love or they might not see care and respect. But can you tell me how these sort of relationships function when love comes into play? Yeah, I think that love um, is, it's it's a language and, you know, we have all of that love language stuff and some people's love language is having love expressed to them in these really non-normative ways through kink. Um and I'll give you one like very vivid example from my own life that always mm-hmm. sort of shocks people. But then once you hear it, it makes sense. So like I have a very intense um, cucking fetish where I have this fantasy of my husband um, having sex with another woman in front of me and sort of ignoring me. Right. Um, and so th- which like, by the way, that's not something where I like before I ever began kink, I was like, I have a cucking fetish and I'm going to go figure it out. <laughs> like it has developed over time. And like we've done extensive like trust and play and negotiation Mm -hmm. and like waded into it very slowly and deliberately. Um, And that's something I talk about on other platforms. But nowadays, it's like when we're in the midst of a cucking scene, and I've got my wrist tied behind my back, and I'm kneeling on the floor, and I'm like watching from across the room, my husband will like, be looking at me to make sure that I'm okay. And then he'll like turn away and look at her instead and Mm -hmm. be enacting ignoring me in a way that he and I have talked about millions of times where he knows that I love that and he's Mm -hmm. providing it for me. And that is like, to me, not only obviously super sexy because that's what I want, but it's Mm -hmm. also like really romantic to just be seen and like in that moment, not infantilized because I think a lot of partners would be like, well, there's no way that you could like this. So I'm not doing it for you. But he's like, I trust you to tell me what you like and what you Mm -hmm. want and I'm going to do it. And, you know, suffer the consequences over there, which is the consequences are getting married and living happily ever after. So, (laughs) (laughs) Are there any emerging trends in the sub-dom community that you've noticed? So obviously we spoke sort of about the history and um, a lot of it from an outsider's perspective, it seems like a lot of it has remained quite the same. But but I guess like you were saying, there's so many nuanced little social differences and stuff that someone from the outside might not realize. But yeah, in terms of trends, is there anything that you've seen that's up and coming or that has has emerged over the last few years? I think that I'm sort of very much riding one of those trends with what I do. And that trend is um, wholesome BDSM, wholesome DS. Mm-hmm. Because uh, yeah, I think that BDSM and DS has always had that sort of hard edge and been considered, you know, very fringe and sort of dark and goth and Renaissance fair. And like, there's just mm. been this very <laughs> specific association with BDSM for generations. And mm. I think that as millennials and Gen Z people come into it, we want to inflect it with our own um, ideas and aesthetics. And um, I think millennials, like, uh, you know, on average, I think we are kind of a wholesome bunch. Like we were, yeah. <laughs> we were raised on like, you know, uh, in a time where, you know, at least in America, like the Obama years and like we mm-hmm. came of age in this very like innocent time. And we've experienced also many losses of innocence as well. So I think mm. as we come into BDSM, we um, don't need so much to enact the like super, super hard edge stuff. Or if we do, we want to bring emotions and feelings into that. And so like the space that I've occupied, I think, in the BDSM community is to say like it can be romantic to do these things that other people think of as like really weird and gross. And you can yeah. fall in love and you can experience care um, through this really specific arena. And in fact, you can experience healing and self-care and integration of your trauma and like all of this stuff that, you know, doesn't come to mind when you think of, you know, the riding crop and the scary dom and the, you know, the big boots and <laughs> yeah and have you have you engaged with more people since you've started your Instagram page and started that that whole aesthetic have you found that more and more people are doing that yeah I I, I do and and um you know so I, I have like a patreon community where I have a, um, a chat room that people on patreon have access to and so 
among the people in that chat room, I see more and more that the day to day of people's relationship dynamics, like it's, it's, I get to be inside the window test and see that people are experiencing love and care and this like reciprocal, respectful relationship that you would just sort of miss if you were just seeing like, you know, uh, Robert Maplethorpe photographs of like what's going on in, in, yeah. a, in a kink scene. Like, and so having that inside the window sort of documented and written out, I think that like we're writing a kink history right now of people who um, are using this in, in loving ways and expressing like how the love operates. Not to say that that was never there in the past, but, and, and there mm. is great documentation of it, but I think that it's, it's becoming more mainstreamed among BDSM to say like, this can be wholesome um, and and spiritual. Just speaking about meeting and connecting with people, how do you, like you and other people in your community typically meet and connect with people on things like dating apps? Is that I know we spoke about it briefly earlier, and that it's something that can be quite difficult when you know starting out with this. But how would you suggest that if someone is wanting to sort of start those conversations, how would you suggest they get out there and meet people? Um, I, I love the sex positive dating apps for this, however rife with um, issues they also may be. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I think it's just, it's, it's hard because, you know, if you've been vanilla dating and you're like, oh, this is so hard and it takes so mm-hmm. much work to find somebody who's good and who, you know, treats me right or knows how to have sex in the first place. Like these, you know, mm-hmm. this is really, it could be really hard to think about adding on another criteria for people. Um, and so, yeah, with kink, you are working in a smaller pool. Um, but that doesn't mean that you need to compromise on your standards because there are people out there, there are people who are realizing they're kinky every day. Um, the pool is bigger than you think. Um, and so, yeah, just putting yourself out there in those sex positive spaces, going to, if you have access, like sex positive events in your area, um, places that are queer affirming and um, diverse uh, are often places to find people who have good awareness, again, of like how power functions and, you know, people who can have good conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's out there. That's all I'm trying to say. It's, it's out there. Um, my final question is, obviously, the relationships in the BDSM community seem to be more open and there is a lot more speak of consent and, you know, they're quite honest relationships in in regards to speaking to what you want and keeping an open mind. What are your best tips on having open conversations for couples that aren't in the BDSM community and how we can bring the benefits of that community into, would you call it heteronormative relationships? What do you call like non-BDSM? Yeah, or vanilla, you know, yeah, oh, yeah even though that term people. feels stigmatizing. It's, it's not. Vanilla is a very complex and delicious flavor. <laughs> it's just a different <laughs> one. Yeah. How would, how would you suggest like, what are your best tips for vanilla people to sort of have those open conversations and navigate relationships? Um, I think vanilla, wow, I could, we could do a whole separate podcast about this yeah. because I think so much of BDSM is so applicable and helpful for vanilla people. Um, mm-hmm. Number one, um, aftercare. You uh, try having a time um, to be cared for after sex because the reason we do it in BDSM is because the stakes are really high. So we always make sure to co-regulate and check in with each other after a scene has concluded. But guess what's also really high stakes and intense? Having sex at all. So like you deserve <laughs> to have a time after sex to connect and um, and sort of come down. Um, safe words uh, seem like something that's only for kink. Um, and in fact, no, they can be a really elegant and approachable way of giving a no to your partner in a way that doesn't activate you and doesn't activate your partner. And so you two can have a plan of attack if something Mm -hmm. is stressing you out. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I think that what vanilla couples um, really, really lack and what's um, super tragic about not having the language of BDSM is when you are kinky and you're like, okay, I have this kink that I know I need to enact in this relationship. I better talk about it soon. You sort of like toughen yourself up to rejection and you know, like, you know, just the most extreme example, you know, is like, I need to get peed on this re- in this relationship. Mm-hmm. Consequences be damned, I'm going to talk about this. Um, <laughs> whereas in vanilla relationships, everyone's sort of mostly on the same page about what they want, mm. but which makes it harder to bring things up like, oh, I want to do this differently. I'll, I want oral sex more often, this kind of stuff. Mm. So what vanilla couples are really challenged to do is to find a way to be able to communicate these things without your partner receiving it as rejection or criticism. Yeah. Like just because I want to create a sex life for both of us that 
has me more satisfied or you more satisfied or something else is happening, it doesn't mean that you're wrong or bad or what we've been doing is wrong or bad. It just means that maybe we've been enacting a script sexually because that's what the culture has told us we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And we haven't had an opportunity to actually consent to that. We haven't said from the ground up, this is what sexuality should be for me, which kinksters have the opportunity to do. Some people are Mm -hmm. like, to me, sex is getting peed on. So like yeah. in the vanilla world, you don't have a chance to say like, to me, sex is X, Y, or Z. So like finding that collaborative space to be like, this is what I want is is something that's so important to erotic satisfaction over the long term. And um, vanilla people can be really deprived of. Oh, that is fantastic advice. Thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. I honestly have just been smiling this whole pod because I think this podcast is just something that has opened like opened my mind up. I know that people out there listening have reached out to me and said it's opened up their minds. And like even because obviously the target audience of this podcast is quite female focused. It's quite mm-hmm. um, queer, queer focused as well. But people's, you know, straight cis boyfriends listen and they're like, oh, my <laughs> God, I never thought that I would, you know, find myself listening to a pole dancer or you know a 24 7 cold sub like and Mm -hmm. it's just it's so cool and it's so empowering and I think yeah I I just think what you do is really awesome so thank you so much for coming on and chatting to me oh thank you and let me just say to those um straight cis boyfriends (laughs) uh you have all the power to create a very very cool sexual environment you're not canceled (laughs) you're very important (laughs) and we're all rooting for you so like go out and learn some consent and aftercare stuff (laughs) love it oh thank you so much i'll chat to you soon I hope you enjoyed my chat with the lovely Lena. Please let me know on my Instagram. It's at madsworld.mp3 or my website, madsworld.co, if you have any stories or thoughts of your own to share. Love and elbow taps. Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.